You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Monday, November the 21st. And it has been hammering down with rain on and off overnight here in TW11, as no doubt it has across many racecourses in Britain and Ireland. You know how we Brits love to talk about the weather, never more so than now after controversy reigned through the weekend. That's R-E-I-G-N-E-D. We didn't have enough of the R-A-I-N, unfortunately, and that meant that we had significant non-runners at Ascot, most notably Constitution Hill and Lompresse, about whom we spoke so extensively on the podcast last week. We had brilliant performances, however, across venues from Protectorat, who was superb in the Betfair chase. State Man, who won the Morgiana Hurdle in Ireland. Boot Hill may be a horse of real promise at Ascot, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. After Goshen, supposedly a soft ground horse, had won the Ascot Hurdle, the race that was supposed to mark the comeback of Constitution Hill. As often in these cases, Nicky Henderson was the most vocal and was happiest to answer the most questions about the withdrawal. But that in itself led to passions running high and quite a deal of consternation. He said it would have been suicidal to run. And he invoked the W word, horse welfare, saying it would have been counter to horse welfare to run Constitution Hill at Ascot on ground that was described in the morning as a mixture of good and good to soft, changing to good Later in the day, Paul Nichols up at Haydock, bristling after victories here, there and everywhere. He was the beneficiary of a race being turned into a walkover at Ascot. He was watching Hitman winning at Haydock and he said, well, they don't win their races in the stables. Sometimes you've just got to take the wraps off these horses. While Dan Skelton, successful with Protectorat, said it's time to just stand back and show a little understanding of the situations that everyone is in. Far too sensible, far too diplomatic, as I'm joined by Jane Mang and RTE and racing TV broadcaster. All that, and I barely even mentioned the fact that the Gold Cup winner Aplutar was inexplicably pulled up in the Betfair chase. Jane, where to start today? You know, our last podcast last Thursday, Nick, I was with you and we were talking about the prospect of horses not starting their season on bog heavy ground because it would take too much out of them. (laughs) We know we would be discussing uh, quite the opposite. I do want to make my own opinion on this. I think there was... Um, an area, a grey area where I thought the word unsafe was used in place of the word unsuitable because for somebody to say that the ground was unsafe then the 30 horses that did end up running at Ascot were they not loved by their connections? Of course they are. Connections obviously felt it was suitable for those horses to run. I do not nor have I ever thought good ground was a welfare issue and I think it's unwise to suggest as such Like I said, there was 30 horses ran at Ascot. It wouldn't have suited some of them that pulled out, but others, we had seven winners. It obviously suited some. Nicky Henderson took the brunt of it yesterday because he's always happy to talk, and he did talk on Sky Sports Racing's Racing Debate Programme. His passions understandably run high when he's talking about his own horses. Some of the language that was used, however, has understandably raised more than a few eyebrows. 
Yes. So if you're an ITV viewer or a racing TV viewer watching at home or indeed a Sky Racing viewer, you are thinking, OK, there's a champion trainer saying that the ground is unsafe. So why am I watching horses run on unsafe ground? That's just that logical way of thinking that somebody might interpret it. I'm just going to quote uh, Nikki Henderson from that exact show, uh, the racing debate show. He said, Paul Nichols quite rightly says horses don't win races in their boxes. But if I'd run Constitution Hill on that ground, in my opinion, he would have been in his box for the rest of the year wounded. That's a very presumptuous statement. He went on to say, it would have been stupid, suicidal, and in the interest of horse welfare, we would we should have been banned for life if we had run. Absolutely off the wall stuff. That is that is just conjecture. That is his opinion, of course, but I don't think it's wise one and wise words to be going with. If he felt Constitution Hill wasn't going to be suited by conditions at Ascot, pull him out, go another day. But I don't think throwing the entire rest of the racing fraternity under the bus was a wise move. All right, well, two points to note. First of all, Nicky Henderson, not the only trainer to be using similar language and, and questioning the general suitability of the track. What trainers and owners and punters are entitled to are accurate going descriptions. And there have been a wide variety of opinions on whether the description was accurate. I've been speaking to jockey Johnny Burke, who won the feature chase at Ascot on Boot Hill and is very much a man in form after his previous successes at, at Cheltenham Saturday week ago. And that was where we set off. What, in fact, was he riding on? And did he feel that it was it was OK on, on Saturday? What were his thoughts? First, I'd start with the going description in the morning wasn't accurate. I'd start with that. Um, it was genuine good ground. Um, I just struggled to put... Good to, good to soft in it. Um, also, being Irish, I've got a thing against this good to soft uh, dis description almost. I think in Ireland we use yielding, and it's a very accurate description. So when you give it as good to soft, when you're going racing, and punters, trainers, owners, jockeys, are you expecting more good or more soft? You don't really know. It was genuine good ground on Saturday, um, and I feel that was the accurate going uh, description for it um, and I can understand why it wasn't suitable for some of those top horses I'm just having a little look at the time comparisons with last year's meeting and I'm seeing roughly the same times for the feature hurdles almost almost to the second the chases however and you rode in the chases and you won the big chase Boot Hill I know he's good but he banged in a time nearly eight seconds quicker than the corresponding race last year. So to your feel, was the chase course appreciably faster than the hurdles course or not? Um, hard to say because I rode a, probably a real winter horse on a hurdle track and he didn't handle it, whereas Boot Hill is a probably good ground horse and uh, it rode safe on Boot Hill. So hard for me to say, but that was a fast race, um, solid gallop and... Boot Hill is, is, is a horse that's on the up, but um, I can understand, it's frustrating for punters, but I, I, I think I think our problem lies in the going descriptions more than the going. I think that's where our problem lies. But if he'd, if he'd called it good all over in the morning, that would have been accurate? I believe so. That's my... That's my opinion. I, I think if, it, if he called it good ground, everyone would have been fair. But like he had good to soft good in places, and it was like 
if it was good, good to soft in places, I'd have left them away with it. But I just, and I do think our problem lies with the good to soft description. Because, like, like, you know, I think you take good ground and soft ground are two very different things. So to say it's good to soft, I think in England is wrong. Like, it's, you're going racing and you well, don't know whether you're getting it, more good or soft. You don't really isn't, know. Johnny, isn't, isn't that the whole reason we, in, we introduced many years ago, introduced the much maligned going stick to try and give a digital reading so that everybody knew exactly where they stood? Now, obviously, you have to compare it with the actual track at each, at each individual meter. You can't compare a 6.9 at Newbury and a 6.9 at Ascot, but you can compare a, you can compare a 7.3 at Ascot with a 6.5 at Ascot, and you've got enough data then to build up an impression over time. I would never look at the going description and say the going stick is whatever and think, oh, it's safe. Like, you have to go and have a feel for it. And to me, the going on it was good ground. And that was it. It was good ground. There was no ease in it, really. But it was safe ground. It's safe, but probably not suitable for... Like, if I had a real winter horse, I wouldn't have ran him. Okay. You know, that's my gender. That's, that's, that's my feel of it. Was it quicker than the ground at Cheltenham the previous weekend? There was more of a jar in it. So there was more of a jar in the ground in the after. Like when you put a stick in, it went in a bit, but underneath was solid. And like you put half a ton of horse down on that, and it just that's where you're getting your problems. So under underneath the top of it, it was just it was just more solid, and it just it it it, it, it did ride harder ground. You know, so. Um, how good is Boot Hill? Do you think uh, uh, Harry Fry's always had a big opinion of him? All his wins now have come at around there, around about two miles. Is he a very fast horse? He is. Um, I schooled him about six weeks ago in Lambert and we were thinking about going up a trip and, and letting him boil along because we were probably a bit sick of him really pulling hard and not finding much. Um, but then Newton Abbott was a confidence building run and, and he showed me pace that he that he hadn't shown in his work and probably pace that I probably lost faith in him as well. So he showed a lot of pace in Newton Abbott and the other day like they couldn't go fast enough for him really. Nick, you know, he was. He, put, he pulled hard for the best part of it, but then at the back of it, he he, he found plenty as well. So, look, we're kind of I'm probably a bit biased because I think he's a very good horse, but I, I do think he's a graded he's a graded horse. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, it's a very small pool of really top notch two milers. Would you like to see him given a crack against them? Yeah, I, I think the plan is to grade two at Kempton the day after. So I think that's the plan. Um, He's been hard to train, but they've got him back, and, and he seems to got his mojo back now. So, but he gives you the feel of a very, very smart horse. So, just ho- hopefully he can keep climbing now. Is it going to be a third good weekend in a row? What do you want at Newbury? I think I could be going to Newcastle for not so sleepy. Ah, uh, yes, of course. I think is the plan. Yeah, I think it'll be very hard to let some else ride him because uh, you just don't know he could pop up, but he could also bomb out as well. So. Uh, that's the plan at the moment. I think I haven't obviously seen entries yet for the weekend, but I, I think it's the plan to go there. Um, obviously, on the back of Saturday, if Constitution Hill goes, it'll be a very different race, but uh, on the back of last year, he goes there with a fighting chance as such. That, that was jockey Johnny Burke, and I got a little bit more than I bargained for there, Jane. I thought he was quite interesting on a, on a number of points. The first is that he seems to support the claim that, that he felt that the going was not as described and whilst it's important that trainers use their words very carefully it's also important that we get going reports that are that are accurate very valid point he chose his words carefully he mentioned that boot hill you know he felt that that was on good ground he mentioned that underneath the top of the soil he felt it was pretty solid 
Um, and he obviously wasn't alone in that interpretation. But look, again, this goes back to the going descriptions being accurate. Nicky Henderson and a number of other trainers, including Alan King, felt it wasn't as described. Chris Dickles admitted that it had dried out more than he had predicted from Friday to Saturday. Ascot have essentially held up their hands. But we're talking in terms of this is the biggest thing to ever happen racing. It's not. This has just been blown completely beyond what it should it's also probably worth noting, Nick, that this isn't a standalone issue at Ascot. So Ascot's issues there have been highlighted. Um, but here at home, we had Journey With Me being pulled out of the beginner's chase on Saturday to Hoopo being a late withdrawal out of the Morgiana hurdle. And last week, we had Fernie Hollow withdrawn after a couple of races because Willie Mullins wanted Paul Townend to go out and get a feel of the ground. Jonathan mentioned the term feel of the ground. So we just haven't had sufficient rainfall. But if we're going to pigeonhole ourselves into it has to be good to soft for these horses, then I think that's naive because some horses genuinely prefer a little bit better ground. You mentioned Constitution Hill won at Cheltenham on on, on good ground, but he obviously didn't want to start his season off. Maybe the horse is a little bit heavier. You know, a horse takes maybe a run to get completely 100% fit. They get a little bit lighter, 20 or 30 kilos lighter, as opposed to when they first run. So... All those things combined, I think it's down to the individual horse's preference. Again, it is not a matter of life and death. It is not. It's definitely not. And that's that's an important point. What is good for the goose is not necessarily good for the gander. And everybody has to respect each other's positions on this. Uh, there are a few little points to note. You've noted one of them. Paul Nichols himself pulled out a horse owing to unsuitable ground at Ascot, Kel Desta. Nicky Henderson won the race he pulled Constitution Hill out of with Buzz last year. Now, I know he was later injured, but it wasn't but it wasn't as a direct result of, of running in this race. And in addition to that, soft ground specialist Goshen popped up and won the feature race. And in the stewards report, Gary Moore said the the relatively easier ground to the previous occasion had, uh, had helped him. So he just roll those little idiosyncrasies around in your head for a while. And of course, the elephant in the room, Jane, is that going was described roughly the same way at declarations as it had been 12 months earlier. Notwithstanding that, there were going to be far fewer runners. There is there is a problem that underlies this that is beyond simply good ground. We've exasperated this subject um, to the point of exhaustion. Well, it, it, or we've it exhausted it to the point of exasperation anyway. Right, right. Agreed, agreed. Okay, on we go. Aplutar, where do we stand with him now? He was pulled up on his return in the Betfair chase behind Protectorat. That was a rare um, dot ball from him. He he never runs a real clunker. He can run below his very brilliant best, but that was uncharacteristic. What now? Well, it blows the Gold Cup wide open because I thought this horse, given his age, could be still in his prime or even getting better. Um, of course, the fact they haven't found something, do you take a positive or negative from that? That, you know, they've obviously had their vet checks done. Uh, he came home, he reportedly ate up as if his appetite wasn't affected. Um, but he never looked in even the first mile like he was carrying Rachel Blackmore into his fences like he usually can, passing the stands with a lap to go. He wasn't r racing with the fluency that you usually see from Aplutar. So there's obviously something amiss. He was jumping quite out to his right. Not unusual for him, but I thought it was more pronounced at Haydock. Uh, in contrast, while he was doing that, Protectorat was absolutely winging fences down the back, making up ground. 
uh, at every jump and, and Harry Skelton taking him back. So he's obviously taken a market step in the right direction. And they mentioned post-race that, that he was absolutely tuned for that day, that that was his Gold Cup. So let's see how, if there is any progression left in him. That said, I was very impressed with what, what I saw. But for Henry de Bromhead's camp, of course, it's a huge worry. And it's a huge worry then for the rest of, of, of the yard. Are you thinking, is this something... Immune, just individual to Aplutar, or is it something that could be in the yard? They uh, withdrew Tony something girl yesterday from a beginner's chase, and you just have to think of all those uh, possibilities. But the fact that there hasn't been something come to light could be interpreted as a positive or a negative. Myself, I think I'd prefer to know. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's Aplutar and Chivley Park. Who'd have thought that Envoy Allen would be their flag bearer at this stage of the season? Alaho's gone missing. He's on the missing list. Aplutar's run a clunker, which he's never done in his life before. Fernie Hollow didn't make his chasing um, reappearance the other day. So Gerhard didn't run in the Morgiana hurdle. Apparently, he's now going to go chasing. Hmm. The Wheel of Fortune can turn very sharply in this game. Let's talk about other star performers over the weekend. Uh, let's concentrate on state man in the in the morgiana what i mean did what did it tell us beating saldier and charger well it told us he did take that step forward into open company because charger while he hadn't run in almost a year because we haven't seen him since he won his fourth matheson hurdle at leopardstown last year he is a very good horse and he's rated in the 160s so if he ran to form then this guy is quite smart. He's jumping left a little bit to be desired. He's a little bit high. He is not as quick through the air as maybe a hurricane fly, but he's probably as good as a Faheen at this stage in terms of his jumping. That was never all that fluent with him. Um, and I'd say Connections are very happy that there's a lot of progression to come. Saldier set a fair pace. Uh, Jesse Evans never got involved. It wasn't a deep race by any means, but he still had to put away his stablemates. And I got the vibe that Connections are very happy after the race. Okay. Is he a, is he a live champion hurdle horse? I do believe so, and I, as a big fan of Vauban, was a little bit disappointed to listen to Willie Mullins' post race comments saying that Vauban it mightn't be this year for him, given his age and that how difficult it is for four year olds turning five to be competitive in this division. And I was thinking, well, last week I was getting the vibes that he might be the leading contender of the six that you were supposed to run in the Morgiana hurdle. So oh, give up. Uh, I mean, give, give up. You're never going to know. Just, just the wait. difference a week makes. But where where he'll reappear, I don't know. As you mentioned, Sir Gerhard is likely to go chasing. Wait till we see appreciate to go chasing as well. So um I, I i could see i could see state man making an impact but let's be honest he needs to step forward again can i have a word for hitman i know i labored this on my sunday show yesterday with with megan nichols but i do think this is a it, this is a hell of a horse and if they can if they can stretch his speed and he does get eventually get three miles i, I could see him running running a huge race in king george's and all sorts of other things Yes. Now, again, this guy didn't really have to come out of second gear to do what he did at Haydock. Uh, it was as expected, um, beating Manila Drama and uh, Air River in Hack Canter. And I would imagine he is with the man who could win a Gold Cup with him. He's with the man who could win another King George. But he's also with the man who's got Brave Man's Game. So I venture to say, Nick, as the captain of his fan club, could he come to Leopardstown and the Savills chase? He's got the trainers got a record at Leopardstown, including Tidal Bay and Den Man and Neptune Collange. Could Hitman be split away from his stable companion and give us Irish fans something to look at? And Jane, we ought to just tidy up one or two other performances that caught your eye over the weekend. 
Yes, so some uh, star names were making their transition to fences and two of them from Clisutton. Um Kilcrut's assignment was made an awful lot easier when Journey With Me came out, but I thought the horse that was placed in the Supreme a Champion Bumper winner at Punchestown was quite good as he adapted to fences at Punchestown on Saturday. And Dino Blue, a mare that kind of self-sabotaged her chances at the Cheltenham Festival last year when pulling too hard in the mare's novice hurdle. She made all in, in the beginner's chase to Cork and was very good in doing so. She was very nimble for a filly going basically flat out over two miles. So I'd imagine Dino Blue and Kilcroft will be making their presence felt over fences this season. Right, let's check in with David Pipe then, who has remastered, who might well have gone pretty close to winning last year's Coral Gold Cup, but for falling at the entrance to the straight. Uh, he's had to be circumspect and patient with him since, but he showed all his well-being when winning a hurdle race last time in his pipe opener for this. And David also has Jericho Rock, who would be a most interesting, well, would he even be a second string? The trainer joins me now. He's on the road, driving through the pouring rain, which I'm sure is very welcome. Um, Dave, first of all, how is Remastered and how has he come out of that hurdles win? Yeah, no, he seems, seems to have come out of it well. Um, it was a uh, a nice surprise at Aintree because um, he hadn't had the best of preps and... Uh, the, the trainer thought that um, Jericho Rock, Rock would um, run a nice race and Remastered would get uh, would get tired at the end, but uh, it was the other way around. Now you've seen what you saw at Aintree the other day, are you expecting that same relativity between the horses to be to be transposed onto the Coral Gold Cup? Do you now see Remastered, who was so unlucky last year, as your leading hope for the race? Well, um... Before they ran at Aintree, I probably would have said Jericho Rock was our leading hope for the race. So, as I say, he was a bit disappointing. Yeah, so we, we all go on about him falling at the first and the home straight last year, but um, I think his other runs after that last season would probably say he wouldn't have won the Coral Cup. Uh, but the wind up this uh, last summer has uh, obviously worked with, done the job. Um, as as it showed uh, Aintree the other day. Yeah, you, you gave them both wind wind surgery before their before their um, seasonal debuts. Remastered and Jericho Rock was it the same type of thing with both horses? No, um, Remastered had a different wind up to um, to Jericho Rock. Um, both have had wind ups before, um, as we know they're very common nowadays. Um, you know, you can't really tell at home. Sometimes, as you know, Nick, it takes a, a run for the horses to realise that they can get the oxygen to the engine. Um, remastered is a bit of a a bit of a thug, and um, he um, he realised straight away. And I, I can't believe it's a year, almost a year to the day since we had this exact same conversation about the exact same horse going into the exact same race. And last year, I remember asking you the question whether whether Tom Skew was going to ride remastered. And he, he wasn't able to because obviously he had to, he sort of felt an obligation to ride his uh, his old friend Cloth Cap in the in the race. And Fergus Gillard rode, um, rode remastered. And then Tom... Uh, I rode Jericho Rocker Aintree and David Noonan rode remastered. Is there any decision being made as to who's going to ride whom at the weekend? Uh, it'll be the same at the weekend. Um, that's, you know, that's what we decided at Aintree, really. You know, 
we wanted the, the same jockey on, on them at Aintree as to who was going to ride them at Newbury. Okie doke. So Tom Skew on Jericho and uh, David Noonan on, on Remastered. Just looking at the race in the round, David, um, how how strongly do you rate your chances with one or the other? Um, look, it's going to be hopefully on the slow side of good. We'd, we'd appreciate more rain, but look, we're going to get lots of rain this week. Obviously, we have a, we've had a very dry summer. Um, uh, after the um, performances at Aintree, you have to say that Remastered's probably our number one hope at the present moment. Um, going into it, um, he showed he could cope with better ground in uh, last year's uh, Coral Cup. Um, I personally still think there is a slight doubt about the three mile, two and a half trip. Um, Further, he's won over his three mile. Um, at the same time, it may be just that um, his wind has stopped him stopped him getting any further um, in, uh, in his past runs. Jane, that was David Pipe. Good luck to him with two very interesting runners in the Coral Gold Cup at the weekend. Interesting article in the Irish Field over the weekend by Ronan Groom. The big interview, Dara O'Loughlin, his first interview since taking up the role of Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board Chief Executive, one of the um, most keenly awaited appointments and one which will be scrutinized intensely given the rather checkered history of the IHRB over the last few years. Jane, what are the key points to take out of O'Loughlin's interview? Well, five months into his uh, tenure at the IHRB, Ronan Groom asked some very hard questions, questions that are on the mind of most people within the industry. And he um, he mentioned a number of uh, recommendations that Dr. Craig Swan, who obviously audited the anti-doping processes of the IHRB after Jim Boulder's uh, statements, uh, he mentioned that the recommendations would be implemented given um, pending our budget. So basically he's made applications to the department and to HRI that basically if we need to implement these recommendations, they have to be done uh, with the help of a budget. But he also rec- uh, he also referenced traceability and improving our traceability system for horses in this country. He was asked about the attitude towards accuracy of data, so race distances, race times here in Ireland. And he mentioned, given his pharmaceutical background where he deals in milligrams and micrograms, that is something he particularly values. He was asked about the whip and he mentioned that he doesn't at this stage want to follow in the footsteps of the BHA rather uh, watch and see how that uh, pans out. He was asked about the insurance issue with point to points. And while Dara mentioned that it isn't up to the IHRB to get insurance, it is a, a topic that is um very much on everybody's mind over here. It is the IHRB's duty to make sure that point-to-points are run safely and as efficiently as possible. Um, he was asked about whether uh, we could have a centralised professional stewarding headquarters here in Ireland, whether you could centralise the stewards away from the racetrack and have them at the IHRB in front of screens. Uh, he basically said that at the moment he doesn't feel that is necessary. And uh, I suppose the last question was most pertinent. Ronan Groom asked, he will... Um, what is Ireland's Irish racing's greatest challenge over the next decade? And rather than just pin- pigeonholing one, Dara replied by saying it's uh, about maintaining consumer interest. I think we can all appraise that. 
um, creating employment opportunities and attracting people into the sport. Absolutely agree with that. And the last one was that all people um, need to be supported within the industry from the bottom up and we need to keep them engaged. So there was a number of positives to be taken from it, but well done to Ronan Groom. He asked some hard hitting questions. So for the first public interview for the new chief of the IHRB, he was uh, given a fair baptism of fire. And the IHRB have had to hold hands up this week in the Ross Carberry case. This is Ross Carberry, who was disqualified from third place in the Pretty Poly Stakes and valuable Group 1 black type at the Curra behind her stable companion, La Petite Coco, earlier in the year. There was a lot of disgruntlement on the day from Concerned Connections. There was a lot of debate about whose liability this was, whether the incorrect weight that was returned was the fault of Connections or indeed the clerk of the scales. Well, this has all now been settled. The IHRB have uh, have issued a press release. Uh, Paddy Toomey, the trainer of Ross Carberry, joins me on the line now. Paddy, just, just detail what's happened now, what the latest chapter of this sorry saga is. Well, I guess uh, the IHRB had a press release um, where they stated uh, what happened and how it happened and why the why the error was made. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, they admitted liability and we've, we've moved on. You know, it's it's a pity from the Phillies' point of view, but it's we've, we've, we've sorted it out uh, and we've moved on. How important is it to you? I'm not the financial aspect of it, but how important is it to you that your assessment was vindicated because there was a lot of he said she said on the on the day i i, I remember it pretty well for sure look i mean uh you know you're from my point of view you know i i wanted it to be clear that you know the, the, there was no mess up or no mix up on my end so it was important for the what happened you know to, it's in the, the press release that they that they released and it was important for that to be made public knowledge that it was an ihrb error have you been um financially compensated for what you would have won um I, there was a there was a settlement which i can't discuss uh but uh everybody walked away look with the case closed and matter resolved the filly probably did the most of it herself and her you know she went to france and was second in a group one subsequently and you know was fourth in a group in, in the irish ledger so she's probably gone and you know she's proven that she's that level of ability so it's a it's a bit of a case of all's well ends well ish absolutely look she you know she had the ability and it worked out but, you know it did just on the day from my own point of view you know it, it was an error, not on my behalf, and it, 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 you know, it just was important for that to be, you know, we didn't put the wrong, we put the right, the, but what, what the saddle that went out went on her, and she ran with the saddle that was given by the clerk of the scale. So, you know, it was important for that to be, for that to be, you know, confirmed and. Now, we know it's going to be a difficult winter. It's going to be particularly difficult for those of you who are struggling with your energy bills. If you are working in the horse racing industry, Racing Welfare may well be able to help you. Becky Ireland is on the line now. She's the Deputy Director of Welfare at the charity. Um, Becky, just tell us a little bit more on on what's happening here. So our home energy grant um, is essentially a £300 payment um, which goes into people's bank accounts if they're eligible and which obviously can go towards their home energy bills this winter. Um, 
so people do need to be working in or retired from the horse racing industry and they do need to be earning um, under the minimum income standard which they can check themselves if they want to on the Joseph Roundtree website it's very easy um, and then all they need to do is head to our website and apply for the grant they can do that online so there's no need for them to be near an office or, or need to go to an appointment or anything they can literally do it online we will check it and then the payment will arrive in their bank account it's that simple how is this possible? How is it possible that we can give at least a little bit of assistance to those in most need at a very difficult time through a very difficult winter? We are very fortunate that we have funding from the Joseph Roundtree Foundation to support a range of targeted grants um, that we've delivered over this year. Um, so earlier on in the year, we had a return to school grant. And prior to that, we had a, a winter fuel grant. So these are all funded, as I say, through the Joseph Roundtree Foundation, who um, also funded our, our COVID grants during 2020 and 2021. So we're very fortunate that we have that funding to be able to do this, because, as you say, this is quite a significant amount of money that we could be looking at here. Mm, it is. Um, and just it, you've been going a week. This has been going a week. What's the uptake been like so far? Um, pretty good, uh, particularly because I think we had a, a similar winter fuel grant last year. So I think quite a lot of people have sort of come back to check the website at this time of year to see if there is something going. Um, we also obviously have it across all of our social media channels and it's gone out through a network of stakeholders in the horse racing industry as well. So the likes of NARS and the NFT, people like that, race courses will be, will be pushing this information out as well. But obviously there's always more people that we can reach always people that you know don't know about what we do so things like this you know that you do for us nick inviting us to come onto the podcast are fabulous because it gives us that opportunity to really shout about these things and try and get them out to everybody that needs them well it's very easy for us to to do to do something uh, becky there's no doubt about that uh, jrf.org.uk is your first stop here that's where you must go first of all if you think you might be eligible for the 300 pound energy grant via Racing Welfare. It's the Joseph Rowntree Foundation first, jrf.org.uk. And then, Becky, to your website. Racingwelfare.co.uk. I should add as well, Nick, that if anybody doesn't have internet access or, or has um, patchy internet access, they can also phone Racing Support Line on 0800 6300 and apply through that method as well. So there is the opportunity to do this offline if needed. Just give me that number again. 0800 Brilliant. Becky, thanks so much. You're so welcome, Nick. Thank you. Okay, thanks to Becky. Thanks to all my guests today on what's been a busy show. Uh, Jane Mangan is with me still, and Jane Mangan has a tip for you for today. Yes, the opening race at Ludlow, Nick, will be a lot of people will be thinking about Brentford Hope, the Sean Mulrine owned, Richard Hughes trained. A flat recruit to hurdling and I see he's top of the market but I think that's on reputation rather than what he's achieved so far so I'm going to go against him with Earth's Cry for Milton Harris and Mitchell Bastian two from two in his career so far and I hope in the 105 he can make it three from three okay Jane thanks so much for your company thank you very much for listening today that was Monday November the 21st we will see you again tomorrow bye bye You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.